For this, our 10th season, we will focus on telling true stories about the men and women we have come to know over 28 years of recovery. Each episode will tell the story of what life was like as an addicted or alcoholic person, what happened to wake that person up, and what is life like today. Not all stories are ones of success. Some of our friends didn't make it as they relapsed and so far have not come in from the cold. Some died in circumstances that had nothing to do with their disease. Others had a rough start, but they persevered and now enjoy a full and productive life. Some are old guys like me, and others are relative youngsters who serve as great examples to other younger addicts. Our stories describe addicts and alcoholics of many different cultures, a range of socioeconomic status, different generations, gender types, and sexual preferences, if they're relevant to their story. I like to say that addiction and alcoholism are equal opportunity predators. They don't discriminate. And you will see how the stories we share about our friends will prove the truth of that statement. Season 10, Episode 11. Anthony's inheritance almost killed him. I'll start by saying Anthony didn't die, although he did cheat death more than once. Anthony's real name in our Lithuanian language is Antanas, but he's called Anthony or Tony by almost everyone he knows. The reason I bring that up is that my brother and I have known Anthony or Antanas for about 50 years. Anthony was part of the small, tightly knit farming community of Lithuanian families who migrated to the farming country of southern Ontario in the late 1940s and early 1950s, just a few years after the end of the Second World War in 1945. The climate and soil of Norfolk County in Ontario were almost identical to that of Lithuania, which itself was located a little to the north of Norfolk County if you go directly east on the parallel. So imagine perfect agricultural conditions and a little warmer than one's own home country. For many families who had no clue as to what the future would hold upon their arrival in a strange land, it was really heaven. Property rights were inviolate. The law was upheld. There was no sign of corruption. There was no more war while peace reigned over the land. Anthony's family, which consisted of himself and his sister, along with parents, all attended the local Lithuanian Catholic Church in Delhi, Ontario, as did we all, all the Lithuanian families in the farming community. We had our own church. Anthony grew up much like my brother and I did. We worked the tobacco farm from the time we were able to hold the hose and water the greenhouses. As we got bigger, we graduated to operating every form of equipment on the farm, from tractors, pulling planters and plows, to combines, harvesting the rotation crops of rye and wheat, and everything in between. Anthony was actually very talented at skilled labor. He learned carpentry at an early age and did some amazing work that required much precision and imagination. He could design and build custom barns and specialized outbuildings like granaries, and he could restore those wonderful big red dairy barns back to their original grandeur. So what happened to Anthony? My brother Anthony and me and a few other kids of the same ethnicity were all farmers' sons, so we knew the game. Work like madmen when you had to and play when you could. You could start driving a car when you were 15 years old, so it wasn't long before you could all head for the beaches on Lake Erie to check out the girls and see if you could catch one on a rare night, and Lake Erie was only about a 15-minute drive away. 
Beer was always a part of the game at night. We would pay another guy to buy a case at the beer store. That's literally what it was called, those clever Canadians. Anthony would never, would never ever be drunk every time we went out. It became our habit to take him to the beach with us since we knew he would be out of his mind and drunk every time. We would lose track of him at one beach where there was more action and have to spend a good part of our evening hunting him down when it was time to go. This would be about 2 a.m. and it didn't matter in the summer whether it was a weeknight or not. That's because work on the farm was a seven-day-a-week job. The only time you didn't work was when it rained and even then the old, might, the old man might have you do something in the barn. I must say that some of my happiest memories were of my dad, my brother, and me, and maybe some of our workers standing in the barn with a huge 30-foot-high wide door open, watching the rain come down and hearing it patter on the metal roof. It was pretty cool. Anthony did attend York University in Toronto for two years and decided to return to the farm where he could work on his terms, more or less. He then decided to see the world where, where, where well he could. First made his way up north to the oil fields in Alberta. Here's how that worked. And my brother did the same thing, but a few years later. And that's how I learned about it. Here's how it worked. 14 days on and 7 days off. The 14 days were spent on the rig in, in the subarctic just below the Northwest Territories line and just east of northern British Columbia. At the end of the 14-day shift, and by the way, there were 12-hour days, the oil company would fly the Lucky Jacks to Edmonton, the oil capital of Canada, in the day, and the Wild West of its day in the 1970s. The Jacks were paid a ton of money. Imagine 14 days at 12 hours a day. That's 168 hours of pay in one shot. Same as working a 40-hour week for four weeks in a day, which is exactly what an average month would come out to except that the hourly rate was outrageous, three times what a skilled laborer like an electrician would be paid, and then you put in an extra 84 hours over an average month. It's a lot of money. It's thousands. And you know where I'm going with this. Anthony was used to working in terrible weather. We all were as farm kids, so he did well. You know, a lot of guys who go up there from the cities and last about three days and say the hell with it, it's too much. But the farm boys and the other guys that lived outdoors had no problem with it. But Anthony spent everything every time he had seven days off. Prostitutes were everywhere. One could get a modest hotel or stay in the equivalent of the Ritz and order room service while in the company of the best-looking whore in town. Add expensive liquor, high-quality marijuana, and even some blow when it made its way to the Arctic Circle at four times the normal street price, of course. After six months and several different rigs, and that's because once the rig was up and pumping oil, there's no need for rig jacks, Anthony decided South America would be a nice change of pace. He ends up in Caracas, Venezuela, was able to work on the Lake Maracaibo oil rigs because experienced oil workers were hard to find, and they paid them a lot. Turnover was a big problem because most of the recruits from there, as well as Canada, were city boys who couldn't handle the rough life even if the pay was very good. So Anthony spent a lot of time in Venezuela and all his money. The girls were plentiful and they were cheaper too. His plan was to continue his tour, but he was burned out and broke after almost two years of wandering and drinking by now snorting cocaine. So he came back to Ontario, his dreams ruined, and decided to live off his skills as a carpenter while living on the farm. Here he had a chance to travel the world and be and do well and save money, but alcoholism and drug addiction took that all away from him and his drinking caught up to him right away 
In Ontario, two driving while impaired infractions will cost you your license for two years, and after three infractions, you could lose it for life and pay thousands in fines. They don't screw around up there. So Anthony racked up two infractions and then got caught driving while impaired while having a suspended driver's license. Six months in jail over that one, plus loss of license for life and a $10,000 fine. Whenever he saw Anthony with a woman, she was driving. He was almost always drunk anyway. This type of thing went on for years. He developed everything short of complete liver failure. He was saved by new meds for hepatitis. He had high blood pressure, neuralgia, diabetes, and God knows what else. He was taking at least six different medications, high-powered. Many days he was so sick from overdoing it that he thought he was just going to curl up and die. My brother decided to give him a break after watching him wander from job to job to woman after woman by hiring him as a carpenter for rehabbing of the barns he was converting to marijuana growing. This is all true, by the way. Anthony would be out of gas by noon, and my brother, who can be the nicest man in the world, even though he would yell at you, he would drive him home. Remember, Anthony had no license, no car. Between what my brother paid him and his disability payments, Anthony was able to get by, and he got disability payments because he had ruined himself with all his drinking and drugging, and they still paid him disability. He was disabled. Every time one of us suggested that he could use AA, Anthony didn't even get close to admitting he had a problem. Despite all evidence to the contrary, he would say things aren't all that bad. Really. The turning point for Anthony came when he inherited a fortune upon the death of his father. Now he had no need to work. My brother was no longer a source of money or companionship, for he and Amos, my brother, got along very well when Anthony was sober. Now he could walk from his apartment in town to his favorite and only bar and spend his day there. If he wanted to find Anthony, he knew where to look. And without fail, that's where he is. So that's where it stands as of today. Anthony, 70 years old, skinny as a rail, with sunken eyes and gray skin that makes him look 10 years older, and it's still not all that bad. So what have you learned from Anthony's story? Well, we learned that some alcoholics will deny they have a problem despite all evidence to the contrary. Two, part of Anthony's problem was that people loved him and were loath to make him pay the consequences. Three, his good friend probably didn't do any, Anthony any favors employing him when no one else would. He enabled him without knowing it. And that was my brother. Four, the final straw came with the ultimate enabling. Free money from an inheritance that would allow Anthony to drink to his heart's content. And the real tragedy, number five, is a promising life taken away from a young man by alcohol and stubborn denial. Imagine that. Fifty years of suffering, heedlessly, unnecessarily. Our podcast is sponsored by SafeHouseRehab.com, a modern approach to recovery. To learn more, visit us at SafeHouseRehab.com.